really had a baby? Was the baby they'd been handed really theirs? But to Tracy and Loop, the benefits of this method were obvious. At the time, there was a growing concern, roughly analogous to today's worry about the overuse of C-sections, that doctors were too quick to use forceps, which could increase risk and prolong women's recovery time. The Freiburg Clinic rarely used forceps in deliveries. The clearest selling point to the journalists, though, was women's experience. They awoke from twilight sleep without a memory of the pain of childbirth and were soon out of bed, getting to know their new child. Carmody was the first woman to travel to Freiburg to give birth after the McClure's article was published, and she came back with glowing reviews. But she barely beat the rush of American women to Freiburg. Tracy and Loop's article, McClure's later reported, had attracted more attention than any other magazine had ever published. Advocates of Twilight Sleep didn't want American women to have to travel to Germany to obtain this treatment, though. They started demanding that doctors and hospitals in America give women this option and they formed the National Twilight Sleep Association to further their cause. Led by Mrs. C. Temple Emmett, a member of the wealthy Astor family and the first American ever to have a baby at Freiburg, the association quickly formed plans for expansion by sending lecturers around the country and organizing branch associations. Not all of its leaders were from the wealthiest ranks of Americans. The association's board included an elementary school teacher, a dental nurse, and the wife of a minor. At Twilight Sleep Talks, women could extol the virtues of painless childbirth. I was so happy, one woman declared. The night of my confinement will always be a night dropped out of my life, says another. The association celebrated when a tenement house mother gave a Twilight Sleep speech on the corner of her street. The Twilight Sleep movement was immediately controversial, though. While feminist women pushed for access to the technique, doctors fought back. They refused to be stampeded by these misguided ladies, historian Judith Walzer Levitt wrote in her account of the movement. Doctors wrote in the popular and academic press about the dangers of twilight sleep and argued that one popular article shouldn't guide medical practice. But the practice also had advocates in the medical community, and soon American doctors were traveling to Freiburg to train in twilight sleep techniques. But, as innovators today might say, twilight sleep didn't scale well. Even in the original McClure's article, Tracy and Loop wrote that the Freiburg method was almost impossible to practice in large hospitals, where space and the attention of doctors was at a premium. As twilight sleep was practiced at Freiburg, a woman ideally had her own room, to minimize the chance she'd be disoriented, and the doctor paid close attention to her progress through the whole course of her labor. At Freiburg, the clinic was only able to accomplish this level of care by tripling their delivery room staff, thanks to the support of the Grand Duke of Baden. When doctors and hospitals in America started adopting this technique, they usually were not able to devote the same attention to individual women, and the outcomes suffered. There was also a gruesome aspect to twilight sleep. Although women did not remember having pain during childbirth, they were still experiencing pain. That's part of the reason their beds were padded and the women's arms constrained. They would writhe and yell during labor. The doctors at the time understood this. There is as much pain as in the ordinary childbirth, one doctor told the New York Times. The only difference is that the patient does not remember having the sensation of pain. Women who took the drugs did sometimes have memories of their labor and the attendant agony. One twilight sleep patient remembered telling the doctor, I am having a very bad pain. You are having a very bad pain, he replied. In her memory, the experience was impersonal and far away. But for non-drugged observers, seeing the woman's pain could be horrific. 
One Twilight Sleep Hospital on Riverside Drive was almost shut down by noise complaints from neighbors who could hear the laboring women screaming. For the women who advocated for Twilight Sleep, though, blacking this out of their memory was considered desirable. It was an attempt to gain control over the birthing process, wrote Levitt, the historian. Because many of the Twilight Sleep leaders were active feminists, they spoke in the idiom of the women's movement. While to later generations, Twilight Sleep was a horrifying treatment in which zombified women were divorced from the experience of giving birth, to this generation, it was a new form of freedom, a way to erase the work and potential trauma of labor. The Twilight Sleep movement was short-lived. McClure's article was published just before the start of World War I, and soon German technology and ideas were viewed with suspicion. More devastating, though, was the death of Charlotte Carmody in 1915, while giving birth to her next child in a hospital in Brooklyn that had adopted Twilight Sleep. She died of a hemorrhage, and her husband and doctor were...